to Raunchy Power Hour, a book club for discussing romance from the erotic to the erroneous. As always, this is an explicit podcast and contains strong language, adult themes, and sexual content. If you are sensitive to these things, we urge you calmly but sincerely to turn off your radio now. This month, we are reading Lunar Love by Lauren Kung Jessen. This is part two of Lunar Love. This podcast will contain spoilers of the entire book. If you want to read along with us, stop listening now. It's okay. We'll wait for you to come back. This is our concluding episode of Lunar Love. If you haven't, please go listen to part one. Yes, we'll wait again. This book contains themes of death of family members. You have been warned. I'm your producer, Ashlyn. I'm a host, Sydney. I'm one snippet of a line of binary code in the background software of that one dating app you still have on your phone, Brian. That's right, Brian. I see you. I'm calling you out. Delete it before Stephanie finds out. Now get ready to get raunchy. The question. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> I have a question. <clears throat> What's your question? If you had to go on a date with your partner to an art museum of some kind, what is the one portrait that you would very publicly make out in front of <laughs> and why? Uh, I have an answer to this, actually. Um, it would be The Kiss. Uh, oh, I forget the name of it. I forget who created it. Give me just a moment, just a moment, just a moment. Just a moment. It's a very beautiful piece. It's like very, very tall and beautiful. <laughs> Gustav Klimt. Thank you. I would publicly make out in front of that painting. Um, one, because we technically wouldn't be alone because they're also making out in the painting. Would you take a picture of it and post it to Instagram or any other social media app? No, <laughs> no, I'm I'm not I'm not that kind of lovey dovey person on social media. Mm hmm. What about you? I think I would have to go with the scream by Edvard Munch. <laughs> Why? Why that? I'm intrigued. Because I like so the so I don't like PDA at all in public. But if I'm gonna do it, I love the idea of comedically kissing someone in front of a guy who's literally going <gasps> like the existential crisis that the that person is having in the painting. Yes, because it's so what it's I like feel on the inside. Okay, no, when you have PDA, understood, understood, understood. Yes. Ashlyn, do you have an answer to this question? I love that you've asked this, because not only do I have an answer, I have a visual aid. Oh? Postman by Van Gogh. Ooh, that's pretty. Ooh. Why Postman? Uh, because Van Gogh is my favorite artist, and Sunflowers, all like 15 versions that he's done, are my favorite works, but that's basic, and this is my second favorite. That's really pretty. I've actually never seen that one before. I hate to call myself an arts student. All of my yep. phone backgrounds. I used I used to have one of his lilies, um, one of the lily line paintings mm -hmm. as my computer background. Love it. 
I also have the kiss up uh, framed somewhere in my house because I love that painting so much. It's such a pretty painting. I like that they made out in front of irises because I cried in front of irises. <laughs> what? Follow up question. We, if we all had a three way makeout session in front of one piece of art, <laughs> what would it be and why? I vote David by Michelangelo. Why was I thinking also David? Because of penis. <laughs> it's Pavlovian association. Two crabs by Van Gogh. Two, Two crabs. crabs? What is that? I'm looking that up right now. Picture, picture incoming momentaneously. Okay. You're going to hear aggressive typing. Two crabs. Two crabs by Van Gogh. I love that. But there's three of That's us. I see it. But the color, the color of the background is its mm-hmm. own character. True. I like it. Beautiful. Anyway, do we think Olivia <laughs> has crabs? Because she's crabby as hell. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> well, she is crabby. We can't say that. We can't say she is. She is something. But you know what? She is the most a horse. She is a horse. And what's I'm better? Call her oh, a whore. Whore. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's not a whore. <laughs> but <laughs> and you know what? They're not compatible because she's a horse. He's a rat. He was a rat boy. She was a horse girl. <laughs> Can I get? Can y'all tell we're recording this part of the segment? Not segment, episode. Late at night? I can. I can tell. (laughs) Anyway, Lauren, do you want to give us a quick rundown of what happened in the first half of this book? Just to recap. Oh, God. Yeah. So (laughs) my request for doing so is that no matter what I say wrong or leave out, it's the recap. It's what we're doing. I I won't say anything. I'll mute myself. All right. So we have Olivia, owner of a matchmaking service called Lunar Love, who has recently taken over from her family members. It's based on the Chinese Zodiac, and she's all pro-compatibility. She thinks you have to be compatible astrologically to work as a couple. She bumps into a man at a bakery who's like really handsome. But the problem is that we find out later that he's actually the owner and entrepreneur of a company Sorry, an app called Zodiac Cupid, which is basically like Tinder, but for Zodiac matching. But his whole principle is he's like, but I like opposites attract. So I want people to be at least somewhat incompatible. And she's like, but that's non-traditional. He says, but fuck tradition. And she says, well, I'm going to go on a date with you because I want to rig the algorithm to show you that not only does your stupid app not work, but that I can infiltrate and get all the information from your business so that you don't take down my small family owned business. And he's like, Okay, I don't know what you're doing, but let's go on a date. And so they go to a cooking class and it ends up going strangely well. They're attracted to each other, but she's still like, he's the enemy. She ends up writing a very scathing email that was never meant to be sent. It was like a ranting thoughts of like all the reasons why Zodiac Cupid is not going to work. Instead, it actually gets sent to an article, journaling company, whatever. They publish it. Um, He reads it. He's really sad. She feels bad. And she's like, I'm sorry, it's just one bad review. You're great. You have value. You're loved. You're worthy. And he's like, thanks, queen. And so they go on another date to a drive-in movie where he tells her his mommy issues. 
And that's the whole reason he founded Zodiac Cupid because his mom was into Zodiac and he wants to learn more about her. And then she feels more bad because he's being humanized and she's been demonizing him this whole time. And then um, basically there's a side plot where like there's a real estate agent trying to sell the property for lunar love. But like she's kind of irrelevant and she has a really shitty yappy dog. And then after this, um, Olivia with Lunar Love is supposed to be going on a podcast, a live stream podcast that's supposed to like promote Lunar Love. But Bennett is actually going to be surprised on this panel. And then that's when they all find out that not only Olivia has been like scamming him this entire time, he also knew the entire time. And for some reason, this upsets her. And we were very angry about that. And so they go this whole podcast episode bickering. And then at the end, Olivia's like, I challenge you like a Pokemon game. Um, to see who can get the other using our in, uh, respective services to fall in love with someone within a month's time. The winner gets a whole shit ton of promo and swag. And he goes, fine, reluctantly. Turns out, though, as they go on dates with people using Zodiac Cupid and Lunar Love, they actually have feelings for each other and that they end up spending more time with each other on said dates than with the actual person they're supposed to be going with. And that there's this whole, like, will they, won't they? And this whole, we're enemies, but we're supposed to be lovers. What is this? Um, and then we left off with Olivia finishing up her date with some dude that she wasn't really super into um, and feeling like maybe Bennett is actually who she wants. But we'll see. That I do. That was actually pretty good. That was pretty. Hell pretty yeah. Thank um, you. You just got to bring up uh, Popo, but that was like, that's it. <laughs> oh, fuck Popo. I've already. Oh. <laughs> 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 Yeah, uh, but this episode, we're kind of finishing up our review. Uh, kind of before we jump in, I just really want to say, like, it's really important to have voices of non-white authors out here. And I meant to say this in the first episode, and I feel bad that I didn't. Um, so even though I'm critiquing this work very, very hard... There is value to like the space for those authors and like their stories. So I don't want to like this be taken in a way like I'm hating on this author because she's a woman of color, which is not my intention. Um, I'm hating on this book because some things just don't make sense. <laughs> but yeah, I just wanted to say that before, like at the beginning of the episode, just to make sure like that that is clear and that that is our intention is just to critique and talk about this work um, and not take away from the fact that we need more people of color in publishing. We definitely need space for diversity. Uh, but now we've got uh, the second date that Liv has set up for Harper and Bennett, and it's at the top of uh, this mountain museum kind of area. And it's meant to be like drinking under the stars. Uh, and seeing a bunch of famous paintings. And Bennett shows up and he's looking real schnazzy, real cute. And Liv's like, oh, he's kind of cute. That's kind of crazy. She hands him the tickets and then, uh-oh, call from Harper. And she cannot get away from work. Uh, so, And she's also not really interested in Bennett. She's like, meh, he's fine. I just don't really see a spark. Uh, and Liv's like... Oh crap, we spent a lot of money on this that Lunar Love does not have. And Bennett's like, Well, why don't you and I go on the date? And Liv's like, 
okay, well, this is a business meeting. Like, we're just business people talking. And I was like, mm-hmm. Sure you are. Anyway, romance ensues. They're out drinking wine on a balcony. They're stars. And then there's Vincent Van Gogh's lilies. And then they make out. <laughs> That's the chapter, really. Yeah. How did you feel about the first kiss? Since this is the first kiss. <laughs> it was okay. <laughs> Like, I knew it was, I almost kind of wished there was only one kiss in the book. But that's just me. Like, if this was going to be like a true slow burn, they wouldn't be making eye contact right now. <laughs> um, true. So, yeah. I li- I liked it. I liked the moment. I thought it was very sweet. And in another like setting, I definitely think I would be like swooning. But I yeah. think like I will say at this point in the book, I was reading it and kind of and liking it a little bit more. Um like it's very just classic movie kind of rom-com kind of kiss. So I was like, "Oh, um, that's cute." I'm with you on the whole, I wish the kiss was later or that they only had one kiss. Um, Because to me, not that like kissing someone means you're like, well, guess we're dating now. But I think in romance novels, it at least signifies like we are acknowledging that we are attracted to each other and that there's something going on here. And to me, it feels like in the chapters immediately following this, they just don't acknowledge it really like i mean they do but it just in no meaningful capacity they're still trying to set each other up on dates they haven't dropped the the bet yet which i'm like yeah um i don't just randomly kiss my competition for funsies (laughs) yeah exactly i I will say so the next kiss i liked better if that was their Mm -hmm. first kiss i think i would have liked it a little more um so kind of continue on when we get there oh um do you want to hear what i wrote down because this is when we find out by the way Liv opens up uh about like why she's so interested in lunar love and why she kind of like fell into it um and then this is where we find out that she's basically shaped her whole life around lunar love for example she went to college in town um but instead of and then Ben asked her, he goes, oh, so you're a business major. She goes, no, I was a psychology major. <laughs> no hate to psychologists out there. But I did write, well, no wonder she can't run a business. She trained as a psychologist. <laughs> as an individual in psych, I can confirm. Yeah. It's a valid take. But I also don't understand why she would have trained. Like, she claims... The reason she trained as a psychologist and got a psychology degree is though that she could understand why people fell in love. But that's not what psychologists do, is it? Like subsets oh, wait, of we psychology. Hello? There you go. There you are. Um, they're definitely subsects of psychology, especially if you're going into something counseling. Like there's obviously marriage and family counseling, relationship counseling. 
However, with the way that Olivia is taking this degree, which I'll admit, it, it can be a versatile degree. Um, you know, a lot of people with bachelors in psychs go on to do a wide variety of things. HR, for example, is actually a pretty big one. But I feel like the way that it's utilized in this book feels less psych and more because none of it is about like analyzing a person. It's like just looking at their traits. Like it's taking a person and like sort of fitting it to the confines of like pre-established traits and then matching that mm -hmm. with other people's pre-established traits. Yeah. To me, psychology is more like looking at the nuances and the individual things that make people unique and then like sort of building from there. I don't know. It feels I would almost actually align more with Bennett's ideology within the scope of psychology of like opposites attract yeah. and like identifying how incompatibilities can actually be complementary um, mm -hmm. rather than this approach. But that's just me. Maybe, maybe I'm not in the right areas of psych. Who's to say? Who's to say? This Although, too is like, oh, you go on. I'm so sorry. I just had a quick thought. There is a TikToker out there. I do not know his name, unfortunately, but he is a licensed therapist. I don't know his degree, but he uses astrology like, you know, sun oh, signs, moon signs in his practice. I don't know to what degree or like what exactly the models of his practice are, but he like believes in it. and a lot of his content online is about like personality astrology and like how it factors into like our perceptions and interactions with the world. So maybe there is some subsect of that I'm not aware of, but it's interesting. Content. Interesting. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just, it was very good. It just kind of felt random that she trained in psychology because the way she acts about everything, it's very much like, Oh, I can see it now, but she's like almost overanalyzing, which is an analyzing based off of traits and all of that to see future compatibility but like that's not how psychologists work i assume she, she's actually generalizing a lot yeah and yeah for sure which i feel like is an issue in psychology <laughs> specifically <laughs> yeah uh uh and then we get to chapter 15 where we get an instance of we've mentioned this in the first part uh where Popo's personality and Popo's perspective on life likes to flip-flop on us. Because um, we're not really sure where everything comes from. Because literally the only note I have in this chapter is, where did Popo's sternness come from? But anyway, it is Popo and Liv's monthly movie night. And they are making some dumplings and they're going to watch a rom-com together. That, and like This is just their favorite little thing that they like to do. Um, but Popo's opinion really flip-flops like about tradition it, mm -hmm. it, she is very stringent but she's also not like she talks up I think this is where she reveals that her and Gong Gong were not compatible was that this? yeah okay and she uh, she reveals almost that she believes his death was because they weren't compatible. So then she created Lunar Love to kind of like overcorrect that because she was m matched with someone else. So I don't, I, I'll be honest, I was very confused by this chapter. Um, but she isn't, but it seems like she isn't as strict about it when it comes to like Liv's love life. 
So I'm kind of taking that as she's stringent on tradition until it hurts like someone she loves. Question mark? Uh, I I think for me, in talking about this live, I'm almost like formulating my thoughts in real time. For me, I think the issue with Popo was more about like... So she, I think there's this like subtext that everyone's trying to to get Olivia to understand that like oh there's exceptions like yes compatibility you know mm-hmm. probably does work out more often than not but there's exceptions like when someone's right for you they're right for you it doesn't matter what sign they are yada yada and I get that but nobody's yeah. really actually talking about the exceptions Popo's not saying like you know here's how you know that this person is an exception or like in matchmaking mm-hmm. like this is why I matched Bennett's parents she never says that at all she's like mm-hmm. I like, I'm pretty sure when, like, Olivia asks, like, you matched his parents? They're incompatible. She, like, talks about how, like, Bennett's mom <gasps> well, was born in was a different year. Yeah. Yes. And, and she, like, treats it like it was, like, this big issue, like a big problem. And I'm like, but it, that wasn't your fault. You didn't know that they were mismatched. You didn't know that their compatibility was wrong. And it worked out, too. So shouldn't that be, like, a success of, like, yeah. you still... Yeah under all the knowledge you had matched people that ended up being, I don't know. I don't know. It was very odd. I just wish they were a little more clear cut on this whole, like when incompatibility works, if that's like the lesson or the theme of this book and like why you can't go off of purely just like we're exactly the same person. Yeah. But it seems like Popo kind of shares how, she kind of suggests that the Chinese Zodiac is meant to be more as a tool, not a way of life. Like, it's more meant to, like, which, from what I've read about it, that is kind of how it is viewed. It's meant to help you decide things, but it's not a strict set of rules that you must only live by. Um, So it's just interesting to see where... Like, I just... I, again, this comes back to Liv, though, as a character where I don't understand where her traditional like like this stringent for tradition and values in that came from i don't understand like because she must have learned it but i don't know where she learned it from exactly yeah yeah um actually ashlyn if you wouldn't mind looking this up for me could you actually look up because our horses typically stubborn because maybe we're missing like a whole component of Liv's character like I'm trying to give it like her the benefit of the doubt here to me when I think of horses and maybe this is just like westernized like popularization of like horses in media revealing myself as a horse girl (laughs) um but like I always like pictured horses like symbols of like free spirits and like wildness and like yeah just like running head first into things and you know taking the bull by the horns type mentality i don't know yeah that's that's very accurate for the description that i'm reading um people born in the view of the horse are very high-spirited active energetic um their enthusiasm and cheerful personalities make people like them um they like to be the center of attention and people enjoy their company that's not live. <laughs> they do tend to be quick-tempered and impatient. That's live. 
Because of their necessity of freedom and independency, it's hard for them to adjust to a schedule prepared by someone else. Quick and sharp mind. So what animals? Yeah, interesting. Hmm. I just wanted to give that, like, that point that out. Because I was like, well, maybe maybe the author is trying to, like, play more heavily into the zodiac sign that Liv is, which is the horse. Because, like, I don't mm-hmm. want to discredit that. And maybe we are missing that completely. If we are, like, please let us know. Like, that would yeah. be very helpful. Please correct us if we are wrong. Um, But continuing on, we've got uh, chapter 15. Uh, no, chapter 16. Uh, oh, no. In chapter 15, Bennett also texts... Uh, Olivia and goes, hey, are you ready for your second date? And she's like, yeah, I guess. And he's like, okay. And he also asked, do you want me to be there? And she says, yes, because she likes him. She she thinks she likes him. He's cute. Yeah, she's like, ooh, he's cute. Uh, and then we get chapter 16, which I thought this was cute. I wish this was the first kiss. Mm-hmm. Um. So they show up to the uh, Monadel Monterey docks. Yep, Monterey area. Don't know. I feel bad. Uh, and she's like, "Okay, where's my date?" And but he's like, "Oh, he's just over here." He like goes behind something and he goes, "Ta-da!" Because surprise, he's her date. And I was like, "Okay." That's cute. <laughs> See, I, I, I was thought like, that was like cringe. That's funny. I thought it was cute. <laughs> Ashlyn, what did you think? You're the tiebreaker here. Is it cute or cringe? I saw it coming, but it was adorable. It's cute. Mm-hmm. Lauren, you're just a Grinch. <laughs> Lauren doesn't like love. No. <laughs> nah, I think I just maybe I just have higher standards. Sorry. Sh- Shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so he has rented a boat and they are gonna go on a picnic out on the ocean. But surprise, Liv's terrified of water for some reason and the ocean. I didn't know that. We also get the parasite thing brought up again, and it's just like, dear God, I'm over it, please. Um, and they go on the boat, she kind of chills out, and then they have a cute little picnic, and Liv actually finally opens up about the ex that she's been talking about quite a bit. Like, she had an ex-boyfriend that was really bad, and apparently he was very manipulative, and was just very demeaning of her work and what she loved to do, and then he was also cheating on her. And that is another reason she does not do incompatible couples. Which I think is a bad reason, but we'll get into it. Uh, because obviously, like, your, 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 your year sign will not determine whether or not you actively manipulate someone. But at the same time, she obviously has trauma that she has to heal from. And she's actively healing on, so I won't gripe on it too much at this point. Um, but Bennett is really 
happy that Olivia's opening up to him a bit more and they talk more about their businesses and how things are going. And uh, we get a moment where this speedboat has gone by and Liv literally jumps into Bennett's arms and she's like freaking out. Uh, and while this is happening, she kind of leans back and then she just asks him to come as her plus one to her sister's wedding, which bold. <laughs> he says yes. And they decide to call off the bet because they like each other. Ooh. <laughs> I think an important thing to note on that real quick for later chapters is that Bennett is the one who asks Olivia if she wants to call off yes. the bet. So put a pin that in that. That is very important. Yeah, very important. Thank you for pointing that out. Uh, and then they kiss. And this is the point where I was like, I kind of wish that was their first kiss because it was much more meaningful <laughs> yeah more meaningful um i did write i don't know where this book is gonna go now <laughs> yeah like I'm seeing i see ashley's I, notes I, no, <laughs> mm -hmm. I didn't know i was just like i don't know where this is gonna go i don't know how this is gonna end um because we were at the point where it was like 65 70 and i'm like i know the three-quarter breakup is coming like i i know it's coming everybody's favorite trope so what's mm -hmm. it gonna be about because i don't understand <laughs> if i can just read i'm sorry here if i can just read one romance novel without a three quarters like climax <laughs> breakup for no reason that gets resolved within a couple of chapters i think i would go feral and i'd rate it five stars regardless of the content because i'm really i feel like a lot of the books we've read like with the, even some of like just the pure smut books have done the same thing and it's usually on the basis of miscommunication and i just mm -hmm. i would like see, to read one that doesn't have it <laughs> yeah see i i don't mind the repetition of that of that plot point but i am getting tired of the fact that it's always miscommunication right i, I would like it, it done would, well yeah, I would like, I, I would agree, like, definitely not miscommunication, maybe something along the lines of, like, tension is introduced. Like, if we did the podcast reveal, that would be really good. Well, I guess then you could argue that is miscommunication that entire time. No, it's not miscommunication, because she'd be lying. That's not even miscommunication. Yeah. She, she would be straight up lying. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Or, like, if even one of the characters actually does something shitty, like... Yeah. If you want that to happen, let it be because it actually happened, not that you like misunderstood or misinterpreted or then, things. Or maybe he re he discovers that she's the one who wrote that uh scathing essay yes. about the Cupid. Or maybe she wrote a series and suddenly they're all coming out. Yes. Yeah. I fully agree. I would have I would have liked that tension and like I would have liked to see how they navigate that and her I, I would have liked to see her then open up and be like, I fucked up. I wrote that when I was mad and I have changed because guess what? I love you, baby. But no, I agree. we get this. We get this next part. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's now Nina and Asher's wedding and Liv is helping Nina get ready. 
and it's time to go down to the courthouse. Uh, there's like a small mention that Popo may not be feeling as good as uh, as everyone expected because she like trips. Um, but that's that's just a very quick reference. Um, but Liv meets Bennett at the courthouse. And it's all of Asher and Nina's friends and family. They get married. Yay. Now it's reception time. Uh, and she is, uh, she has hired a band or something. And apparently that's against Nina's wishes. She didn't want to dance for some reason. But then Nina's chill with it when she comes in. I would not be chill with someone something that i specifically requested not to happen at my wedding but nina's more chill than especially me, to play my heart will go on isn't that the first song that plays in mandarin as well which they don't speak speak fluently i just think that's a chuggy song choice for like a young couple getting married like i don't know if i would want I mean, that at my wedding the whole thing but the whole thing is a moon playlist <laughs> Oh, that's right. Ugh. This is when I got really tired of the mention of the moon playlist. Um, also, I don't know why Liv decides to threaten her future brother-in-law right as he's about to walk down the like walk to the courthouse and like get married to his sister. I was like, this seems like an impromptu time. Felt so this quirky. Was, <laughs> this like, felt. Uh, this was a millennialism, a hundred percent. Because also we're under the assumption, and she has said this before to Olivia, that she's known Asher for a long time and that like she's grown to really like him and think he's a perfect match for her. So it's not yeah. like she had any real doubts. It's just very like, if you hurt her, I'll kill you. Like, I don't yeah. know, man. Maybe oh, get no, that out your one. <laughs> yeah. And then this is the chapter where Popo is sitting with Liv and they're talking about compatibility because, you know, her and Bennett are actively like dating pretty much except without the label they haven't said will you be my girlfriend or boyfriend yet um but popo then reveals that her and gong gong were also not compatible mm -hmm. and that's why she created lunar love uh and they actively knew it so i did write down at this point Popo confuses me. Liv confuses me. <laughs> I don't understand this world point of view about how compatibility works. Because one minute, it's all gung-ho, only compatibility. That's all we'll do. Mm -hmm. And the next, it's like, fuck compatibility. Actually, everyone who's been incompatible has pretty much worked out so far. It. I think this is the one twist I really didn't care for, because I think it undermines the whole business of lunar love. Yes. Like it was truly built on a lie. Like actually. Um, yeah. Cause I think she says it was built to like maintain the belief that her and her husband were compatible to like their extended family. Yeah. And I'm I, like, yeah, and I don't understand that because they so, would know mm -hmm. they would know they were not incompatible. And so then why are you matching people up strictly based on compatibility in the one couple you did it, you felt was a mistake. That's never yeah. explained, I feel like. Not in full, yeah, anyway. Yeah, it, it just, it's very confusing, and I got very confused where this was. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, it's dancing time. Popo gets Liv up to dance, and uh, Liv wants Bennett to dance, but Bennett 
don't dance. And he refuses to dance. And Olivia starts getting anxious about how maybe he doesn't want attachment because Popo said when he first came to Lunar Love to learn about them, he uh, seemed very concentrated on his work and wasn't like looking for anything. And she even tried to set Liv up with him and he declined. And so Liv's mm-hmm. like, well, he may not want something long term now and da 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 da. And you know what this would all be fixed by? Talking to him. But that's just me. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like, I think he's just afraid of losing people because he lost his yeah. mom. So like, maybe talk to him. And she's like, now I'm going to jump to conclusions. Like, I have this whole... It's not book. very psychologist of you. <laughs> True. You're real for that. Yeah. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, and then we get to chapter 18, where we learn Bennett has been kind of doing the same thing that Liv's been doing this whole time. Uh, and we learn this because Harper has come back in uh, to talk to Liv about a new match, because um, obviously things with Bennett didn't work out. And it's revealed that Bennett and her actually planned the whole museum thing and that's actually why she backed out so i did write i was like i don't know i don't understand why bennett would do that it is a bit manipulative this is the only point in which i thought okay that hey bennett that wasn't cool it's giving that one scene in in new moon where um can't remember his name i think it's eric who Mm -hmm wants to go to the movies with Bella and she's like, oh, let's invite everybody. And he like convinces them all to fake illness and cancel. So that was just him and her. But Jacob went anyway. So it ended up being awkward. Um, yeah. yeah, it's the same vibe. It is a little yeah. sleazy, I suppose. Um, and then this was the point in the book where I didn't like it again. <laughs> so yeah. from chapter nine to chapter 18, I was like, this is okay. I kind of like this from here on out. I didn't like it. Um, and I struggled. I struggled with it hardcore. Um, but yeah, they uh, they planned that. And uh, and Olivia is not happy. She's like, he's manipulated our entire relationship. He's just wanting to get to know me to like get in all my family secrets. I can't believe I opened up to him and yada, 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 yada. And I'm like, girlfriend, you need to take a step back and take a breather. Because um, you would benefit from a therapist. Because <laughs> obviously, there's a lot of there's a lot of trauma to unpack there, uh, and things just get worse because after Harper has left, Carol the realtor shows up, but none other than Benton and Elmer in tow. Uh, Benton. Not Benton. Bennett. Oh, Bennett. I'm so sorry. <laughs> that is a different book. Benton Kessler makes his ben entry. Benton Kessler. Dear Sets God, not again. To Luna Love. Shut up again. Get away! Compatibility. What if you just your set poetry somewhere else to your love life? <laughs> God. Uh, but yeah, Bennett and Elmer are in tow because they're looking at more permanent places. Bennett didn't realize that they'd be looking at Lunar Love and Liv is obviously on the defense yet again, being like, well, what are you 
doing here? You're just trying to sweep my family's business from under me and everything. And it's just like, damn. And Elmer's being a dick. Don't know why. Apparently he was just mad that that Bennett knew that she was their competitor. I don't know. This this scene frustrated the mess out of me because I I definitely agree. Olivia was hop, skipping, jumping to conclusions. But I also feel like logistically, this did not make sense. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. Because I wrote, Olivia is seething, but Bennett swears that he didn't know they would be viewing Lunar Love as a potential office space for Zodiac Cupid. To me, this argument isn't solid because of Lunar Love's importance in Bennett's life in Zodiac Cupid. He'd been there relatively recently, just before getting the idea for Zodiac Cupid. So it can't have been that long. He has Mm -hmm. to know roughly at least the neighborhood on paper where Lunar Love is located. I feel like it's actually a pretty shit excuse to be like, oh, I had no idea this was the building. Like, yeah, I don't know. It just I mean, not to say that he's lying, but I think it was just I hate to say it, but like a poor justification or like a poor plot point for writing, because to me, it's been yeah. hammered home time and time again how important Lunar Love has been to him. So it's like. You have done your research on Olivia. Like, you know who she is long before this. Mm, don't act shocked. I don't know. I don't know. Just yeah. Me. Yeah. I, I felt that, too. I was like, I feel like, I feel like you know where she works. <laughs> yeah. If I, like, let's say, like, the street of my, like, the apartment that I live on. If I heard anyone mention that street name, I'd immediately think about my apartment. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, I don't know. I don't know. Or, like, for example, I know what your old address street was. And if someone yeah. mentioned, oh, yeah, I live on da 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 da, I'd be like, oh, that was my mm-hmm. old friend's address. Or, like, exactly. I knew that street. So, yeah, You'll it is a little that. weird. Yeah, it's a little know. weird. This oh, well. whole, but this whole little conflict thing didn't make sense. And it, it continues to not make sense uh, because now we've got chapter 19. Um, and I did mark. Because I was reading this on my Kindle, so I could tell at what percentage I was at. And I said, at the 77% mark, we get the quote-unquote breakup. Uh, Oh, because at the end of chapter 18, Bennett, (coughs) excuse me, asked Liv to come to his Zoda Cupid Halloween party, where people are encouraged to dress up as their Zodiac. And Liv's like, I'm not going to go. And then she decides, I am going to go. Um, and she shows up to this party, dressed as Rembrandt, because early in the book, there's a reference to the fact that Rembrandt was also a horse. I'm confused why she, like, she called back to that. Anyway, um, she sees Bennett at, like, mingling, and there's this lady, like, obviously flirting with him. and. Liv is just like, well, obviously he's seeing other people because she saw like his score went up on his dating app, which to be fair, I would have, I would ask my partner be like, hey, what's that about? I know you're the CEO, but like, would like to know if you're like using your profile for company reasons. It's actually really funny. At the end of the previous chapter's notes, I called this Mm -hmm. I said, quote, Clearly what actually happened is that Elmer told Marcus that Lunar Love, blah, 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 we'll get there. And Bennett is mm-hmm. just testing the Peonies feature. This is so fucking dumb. 
That's what I wrote. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was so yeah. obvious to me. Like, I don't know. This is why I was so enraged by all this. Because I'm like, yeah, you're not even considering this as a possibility. Come on, girl. Yeah, exactly. Um, But anyway, she runs into the podcast host from before and he's dressed as a piece of bacon. So I assume he's a pig, which I know is in the Chinese Zodiac. Um, and he reveals to be like, oh, hey, by the way, uh, the, the bet. Yeah, the bet's done. And, he, and she's like, what do you mean? We called it off. He goes, no, you lost. And she's like, what are you talking about? So she, of course, storms over to Bennett and is just like, we need to talk now. And like, how dare you? Are you trying to ruin my family business? And they go to a corner and she asks him about the peonies thing. And he's like, my, my account is being used for company things to test out all of the different features on the app. And then she's like, well, who told them that the, that the bet was done and that I lost, that I fell in love? And he's like, it was probably Elmer. And she does bring up a good point. She goes, does Elmer control you? Is he like your partner or something? And he goes, no, he's just very involved. And I was like, I would have a stern yeah. talking to with Elmer. That's that's very stepping out of line. Yeah. Oh, very much. Uh, and they they fight it out. And Bennett has some... Bennett. Bennett has some good quotes about this because he's like do you think i'm like just some evil businessman who's trying to like steal from you and like your family business like i'm not you've got to be open to people like people aren't out to hurt you mm -hmm. and basically says that to her face and she's like no i can't do it and they break up quote unquote Ah, yes. The foundations of a really solid and long-lasting relationship. We love I was to about, see it. I, I was about to ask you, Lauren, how do you feel about that? I mean, we've kind of talked about it a bit. Of the like... Three-quarter breakup. Thir three-quarter breakup. Again, I think it's fine if it's not on the premise of something like this, where it's just so mm -hmm. easily resolved by a conversation or of one party listening to the other. Because at least in this version, usually when we have the miscommunication trope, nobody's actually coming out with the truth and they're just talking circles around each other and getting mad for no reason. At least here, Bennett tries to tell Olivia the truth, which she just refuses to listen, which to me just like irks me so much. And I think, again, if you have to create tension and conflict between your characters because of miscommunication forced miscommunication i don't think you have strong plot anyway just being honest like i don't think it's a strong plot point mm. um i don't know i just think like you don't need coincidental external strife that can be easily explained away to create tension like you should be able to play with your characters enough and recognize inconsistencies within them if you want tension to actually make it realistic and yeah. like meaningful but i don't necessarily feel that that's what happened here but that's just my opinion understood if if y'all have any good suggestions on a third like act breakup due to miscommunication like a good example we mean a good example drop it down below please let us or know alternatively a book that doesn't have one at all so that I can feel justified in my opinions. <laughs> and 
now we've done a little bit of a time skip. It's about a week later. And Alicia and Liv are taking a hike up a mountain. It's the same mountain that Bennett likes to walk up apparently sometimes. And I'm like, girl, you're obviously obsessed with him. And... <laughs> True. They are walking up the mountain and Olivia is still very, very sad about everything. And they get to like this stopping point and Alicia gives, you know, just the typical romance book, a uh, sagely uh, best friend advice about how you have to like let go and you have to try th new things and <laughs> so on and so forth. And she's like, oh, well, you know, you're letting the Zodiac thing get in your way. And, you know, compatibility isn't the only thing that matters. And by this instance, I will say the nail home thing about how compatibility isn't everything. Like the theme of it was real was getting on my nerves. I was like, OK, I get it. Please stop nailing it in. I am tired of it. I was about to say, at this point, I almost want someone to be like, yes, compatibility is important outside of Olivia. Yeah. Because I'm like, that's what the premise of this book was about. And I understand it's important for your characters to go through dynamic, like, progression and to change. But again, like you said, this feels very much like overt explanation of like, thou must change. This is why your beliefs are incorrect, which I feel like these things need yeah. to happen more gradually and subtly, but... I don't know. Whatever. Anyway, um, and Olivia's like, yeah, I guess you're right, Alicia. Out of everyone who's told me this, I will listen to you. And Alicia's like, good. Here's the episode of the podcast that Bennett uh, was on. Um, this is also what it's revealed that <laughs> it was only on the 13th episode that they had a live audience that they were releasing this podcast to. And I was like, damn, that I feel like that size of a podcast, a 13 episode, a little unrealistic, but that's just me. Anyway. Yeah. Unless you're a celebrity. Anyway, um, it's revealed that Bennett reveal it says like, oh, well, actually. I should give all the credit to Lunar Love. And he does like a whole piece about and was very heartfelt about Lunar Love. And he goes, well, I have to say all this because I'm the one who lost the bet. Which means he's basically confessing his love to Olivia. And I was just like, I don't like public confessions of love because it just feels so impersonal. But that's just me. It's also like, logistically, is she listening? You don't know. You have no like, idea. Text her. <laughs> I, I get that it's like a big moment, but yeah, yeah, it was it was a little strange. So she's like, "Oh my gosh, she said he loves me. Let me go to his pitch for the app and let it let me go." Stand so she up, runs girl. down the mountain. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then she runs down the mountains. Um, and Chapter 12. <laughs> Not chapter 12. What are we on? Chapter 21. Oh. Uh, this chapter got I, so messy. This was such a messy chapter. I don't mean to laugh, but like listeners at home, if you haven't read this book, you have to understand how out of nowhere this comes. At least for me. Um, for, uh, two things this, that come from nowhere. 
Yes. And this whole chapter felt like I had the rug swept out from under me. And I was yes. like, oh, um, where are we going with this? <laughs> yeah, honestly. Well, so I was like, okay, so she's going to go to the pitch and then she'll like go up on stage. he will be like, and I know it works because I found her <laughs> kind of thing. And then spotlight, she comes up on stage, kiss, you know, like I thought that's what was going to happen. No, <laughs> that is not what happened. So she shows no. up to the pitch. She's in leggings and like her tank top or something. And he's like stammering over his words. And then suddenly he looks at her and he instantly calms down and is able to like get through the pitch. Um, but she doesn't even stay for the full thing because she gets a phone call from her dad. She steps outside and she's like, hey, dad, what's up? And he goes, hey, I hate to tell you this over the phone. But Popo died in her sleep last night. I'm, I'm <laughs> sorry to laugh. I am sorry to laugh. But I literally wrote in my notes, why did Popo have to die like that? <laughs> She's so right, though. Like, it comes out of... It's literally delivered just like that. Like, as abrupt yeah. as that was, that's what it was almost verbatim. And, like, I was listening to the audiobook and I had my hands full. I was doing something else while I listened. I heard that and I go... <sighs> Like the eyes wide emoji. I was like, what? <laughs> what do you mean? Yeah. So like, I want to I want to argue that that's like sometimes that is the reality of a loved one passing sure. away. It is just so sudden. But like in the romance book context, it did not make sense. Um. But then again, the, but then the chapter continues to not make sense because Olivia is obviously devastated. Her yeah. beloved Popo has passed away. So she goes to a place that's comforting her, which is Lucky Monkey, which has not been referenced <laughs> since the I was beginning about to say, of the book. I had totally forgotten about it. I thought they were going yeah. to be so much more important because they're like the first real characters they're that are introduced. Yeah, yeah, they're name dropped and they're even emphasized as like they're like a second set of parents to me. And I'm like and then we hear nothing about them for the rest of the book until this moment. Uh, so she goes there and um, it's big because they were really good friends with Popo. And Liv walks into the kitchen where suddenly, oh my God. <laughs> without warning, her ex-best friend is sitting in the kitchen. And her ex-best friend literally comes up to her and she goes, I'm just so sorry about Popo. And I'm like... The whiplash. I'm like, what is happening? The book just starts talking about someone named Colette, and I'd fully forgotten who Colette was. And I almost wrote a note being like, are you seriously going to introduce a brand new character in the last four chapters? And then I was like, wait. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I mean, that's um, how little bearing she had on the story to me. But Literally, literally. Because I was like, well, Alicia already fil fills a role of bestie. Yeah. So I don't know why we have to have like this huge communication thing with Colette. Um, I mean, I knew it was going to, I knew at some point it would happen, but I thought it'd be like, I don't know. Just in passing, How Colette and I have gotten back in touch. I want to get your thoughts on this. How would you feel if they had just left the Colette plotline unresolved? Like, this oh, is what I would have loved it. I would too. I would have too. Be because it's almost kind of like a realistic relationship where something yeah. traumatic like that happens and sometimes you kind of just don't want to talk to the person yeah or heal this that's very reminded valid. me way too much of window shopping way too much yeah 
I was like, whiplash. Yeah. Um, but Colette's like, I'm so sorry about your popo. Um, and she's and Olive's like, how did you know I'd come here? She goes, you always came here when you were sad or something. Then they lament about like their childhood and all of that, which I was just like, this is not the time. Her grandma no. literally just died in her sleep last night. But then it reveals that Colette left because she was just like so embarrassed by like what happened and she thought Liv was upset with her because Liv made the match through Lunar Love and so, Colette has been back. Bad. Such a bad so justification. Bad. So bad. And hey, they're best friends again and they decide to go bake because they're sad with that and that's all I remember. I'll be real. I don't remember any of their other conversation within that. No, not at all. Um, and you can tell that my how I felt about this book is getting shorter and shorter, like my patience for it, because my notes are becoming significantly shorter and shorter by uh the chapter. I have no more notes at this point. I have none. Yeah. <laughs> um so we've got chapter 22. Mm-hmm. And they plan the funeral, and then it is the funeral. And then this is my, and then here is listeners and fellow co host. Um, my favorite quote that my favorite thing I wrote down during this book. And I wrote down randomly dancing at a funeral was not in my romance book 2024 bingo card. <laughs> What do you mean? That wasn't romantic for you? <laughs> All right. Um, so for context, listeners, so the funeral happens. Popo wanted it to be like a celebration of her life. She didn't want people to be sad. Um, which, fair. And what Liv proceeds to do is give this very heartfelt like speech after she's done this ceremonial like laying of this blanket over Popo's body, which is like meant to keep her warm in the afterlife. And then she turns on Popo's Moon playlist and starts just randomly dancing to be like, you know, because this is meant to be fun. <laughs> it's giving main character in a YA movie. Oh of my like, god. I'm going to be the only person dancing. And because I'm conventionally attractive, everyone's going to get up and do it with me. Which no one in real life would do that. <laughs> They'd either ignore you and be like, sit the fuck down. It's a funeral. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then guess who's there to help her feel a little bit better about dancing by herself it's bennett no public dancing bennett uh he gets up and dance and then everybody's dancing i love the muppets movie so good it's <laughs> <laughs> all i remember from it oh uh. my god uh and literally the next chapter it talks a lot about uh what a funeral offering is and like a tradition which i thought was really cool i'll be honest mm -hmm. i wanted more i wanted more about the traditions and everything i felt like it was honestly skipped out on on some of the things and i wish there was more like mm -hmm. i wanted to know more about not only the horse and the rat but we also barely learned about their zodiac characteristics yeah, but I wanted more learning about that. Like, I wanted more of that injected into the story. I actually would have loved it if, like, because I know there was an animal symbol, like, under the chapter, like, number. Mm -hmm. 
at least in the print copy, I would have loved under that animal symbol, just like a short little blurb. Like normally people would put a quote or like a poem at the top of a chapter, mm-hmm. just a short little blurb on like the basic traits of that well, animal. And like maybe the theme of that chapter just like sort of falling in line with that or a character in the chapter yeah, representing well, that. Do you realize why it's a horse and a rat? Why? Because it's Liv and Bennett's sign. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That took me a while while reading the book to understand. I was like, why do they keep switching? I was like, oh. Uh. <laughs> that's not mean, though. I wish they had just gone through, like, all of the all of the signs. I think that's very educational, yeah. but also, like, would be a super unique way to, like, flavor each chapter and, like, really sort of intertwine the the lore and the tradition and the culture with this story. But it felt so disconnected to me. Yeah. But they do this really cool uh, funeral offering, which basically it's a bunch of uh, paper assorted items like house, money, clothes, other essentials, but then also like expensive things like a yacht or wine and stuff like that. And it's meant to be a burnt offering so that Popo can have all this stuff in the afterlife. Um, and it's it was really beautifully kind of described. And Ben Bennett is there. Uh, and then Liv d- uh, invites him to dinner after the funeral. Um, so funny enough, I also did write at this point, I'm so done with this book. <laughs> just because I was just like, I'm ready for it to be over. Um, yeah. Well, good luck past me, because there's only two more chapters after this. Uh, and... In the second to last chapter... It's family dinner time. Liv is making dumplings and Bennett comes in and he helps her. And then they're kind of like shooed away to like get out of the kitchen so that everyone else can like finish the cooking. And they go up on the roof of her house where there's a blanket laid out and a bucket. Not not sure when <laughs> Liv had this time to do that or why this hasn't been mentioned that she likes to climb up on the roof sometimes <laughs> true um but they have a heartfelt moment up there and live like thanks him for coming to the funeral and i will say this moment was very sweet um she brings out more funeral offerings like the the paper offerings and he asks if it's to send up to popo and she goes no i actually got these for your mom which i was like oh mm-hmm. okay wait that was cute. That's the side of Olivia I wanted to see. Yeah. Um, and he's obviously very touched. She brought up like a bunch of items, but she also brought up not the original documents, but scanned documents of uh, the match between Ben's Bennett's parents. Uh, I will say... I hate that they lit the bucket on top of the roof because I feel like that is such a fire hazard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they also talk about uh, some other things because Liv, it's a very full circle moment because Liv also posted another article reviewing Zoda Cupid and how she also thinks their service worked because she also lost the bet. And he's like, oh, you fell in love with me? And she's like, yeah. I did. Um, Uh But yeah, which I think and then and then it's reminded that at this point they have known each other for 
I would say at the max, two months. They're like, I'm just different with when I'm with you. You've changed me as a person. I'm like, in two months? Not even. Like, I'm fairly certain this book, or at least before the final chapter, <laughs> takes place like yeah. in the span of like a month, maybe a month and a half. Like, it felt very centralized in October. Yeah. Yeah, I would, I would say a month and a half because they met like right before and then the whole month bet thing came like after their second or third time seeing each other. Oh, well, it's still better than the Twilight dating timeline. True, 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 true. You're not wrong. Uh, and they admit that they love each other. They kiss. And... And then... Epilogue time, basically. I'm gonna call this epilogue. It's the final chapter. Yeah. Yeah. Um... So funny enough, I did write down, honestly, so it's Lunar New Year, everybody. It's four months later. And surprise, Zoda Cupid and Lunar Love are teaming up and are merging together. Wow. <laughs> it's like somebody should have. Oh, sorry, I was going to say, it's like somebody <laughs> should have told them to do that maybe chapters and chapters ago. <laughs> it's like, I um, wrote it but in my now- notes. <laughs> Sorry, losing my mind. <laughs> yeah, but they're all going to be a big happy family, and everything's going to work out. Um, so funny enough, listeners, this is where Lauren and I had a different perspective on the book, because specifically because I thought throughout the entirety of the book that Randall and Alicia were <laughs> together. Um, I thought they were an item not and then randall randomly shows up and surprise he actually has a husband and i was like okay gay rights (laughs) yeah the audio book reader did a pretty good job of 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 like signaling queerness i think in like a not over the top way like it was enough to like make me key into it i was like oh Okay, there's something there. I feel like this is an intentional directing choice that this audiobook reader went with to like signal me in that he may be a little fruity. Um, so that's I'm I'm glad I'm glad that was a deliberate choice. <laughs> that yeah, because in the book I thought Alicia and Randall were together, but that's just me. LMAO. I could have missed it. Uh, but yeah, four months later, everyone's happy, uh, including even Harper and. A guy that was mentioned earlier in the book, and he's not worth mentioning. (laughs) The end. The end. Question time. Ashlyn, can I make a humble request? Can you grill us like Marcus, the podcast host, as if we are live on the air and you're like Caesar Flickerman personality type? Um, I can try. At 11 p.m. at night. (laughs) Okay, let's see what I can do. I can do the theme. Okay, Sydney and Lauren. (laughs) (laughs) Please do the theme. Wait, no, go back. Do the theme. (laughs) (laughs) 
There you go. I'm so glad that I have a spinny chair. Hell yeah. The spinny chair is going away soon, so I'm so happy that Aww. I was able to do that one last time. Aww. Shout it's, out to it's a crappy War. Chair. Shout out to War by Hypnotic Brass Ensemble. It's a, <laughs> it's a banger. <laughs> what do you think that the future holds for Olivia and Bennett's relationship? <laughs> Not good. Not good. I'll remind you that we are live, so I'm going to need your answers to be concise. <laughs> Mine was pretty concise. Yes, Not ma'am. Good. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> um, I personally think, based on my matchmaking skills, um, that the longevity of the relationship is actually not in the cards. I think that it'll last two and a half years max until real conflict and trouble comes in, and then Olivia will get cold feet. Just based off of vibes, dude? <laughs> Very low frequency. <laughs> Very low frequency. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree that like the, their wavelengths are just off. They're not on the same wavelength. And like, <laughs> it's okay if you're not on the same wavelength with your partner. But like when, you, when you're at the base of it, you gotta be, you know? Yeah, the vibe's gotta be a check immediately. Yeah, because these ones were <laughs> off. <laughs> that was awful. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Welcome. So I had this this question blurred out for um, just in case you were viewing my document ahead of time. Uh, this is the first book we've read that is not smut. Despite the fact that we are from the erotic to the erroneous, it's all been erotic. So what do you think of yep. the lack of sex in this book? And can you talk about the importance of romance without sex in literature? Can I, can I go first on this? You go ahead. So, so as a member of the asexual community, um, I feel I can definitely speak for literally everyone involved. I can't. Um, <laughs> For me, I think reading a book like this, and I actually thought about this consciously as I was reading it, was in a sense refreshing not to have sex in it. I do think I will say, I think it also helps that I didn't feel a whole lot of like chemistry and attachment to these characters and that like, oh, a sex scene would be good or it feels like a good place for it to them just their vibe didn't feel like it needed it nor would i have necessarily enjoyed reading it that being said though even with books that have a more appealing couple to me i think i think it's so it's so validating for me to read books where couples are successful and adored and that it is a successful romance book when there is not sex involved because for some couples Mm -hmm. sex isn't a very important facet of the relationship and that's wonderful but for folks like me it's not and i think there's there's validity to both perspectives and i think a space for for readers as well that are just maybe not comfortable reading erotic novels but they still have a space within the romance genre um and that's why like i was in barnes and noble the other day I noticed that there's like a pretty clear distinction between like the smutty book aisle now and like more of just like general romance. And I think that's really, really great. Mm -hmm. And I think it points people in a really healthy direction because contrary to popular belief, sex isn't everything and you don't have to have a to have a healthy and fulfilling relationship. And that is my TED talk. 
Good night, everybody. <laughs> My drop. Snaps. Snaps. Thank you. Snapping. Thank you. Clapping. Um, I will actually say, I agree. Uh, because interestingly enough, I think I said this a while ago. I said if I'm going to read a romance book, I kind of want smut, you know? Um, but I take that back. Um, I fully agree that there are instances with romance where sex does not need to be involved. This book was a great example. Like, I feel like if there were inclusions of sex scenes with Bennett and Liv, it would feel too forced. Mm -hmm. Like, it wouldn't feel natural. It wouldn't feel like it was even in their character for them to have, like, this uber-charged sexual energy. And honestly... The one, the one moment that she mentions, like him, like he like grabbed the small of her back or something, and I was like, and that was the spiciest we got. I was like, I'm cool with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is a very good. I think having non-sexual romance books is very important. Like what you said for people who are, um, either a just not comfortable reading smut or b um are asexual and don't want to read that but they want to read a romance book and it's very important um so i fully agree with that and not adding the sexual tension also took away that pressure of i think the issue that we have with smut books is when we feel like the two characters are pushed together because of their sexual attention and that Mm -hmm. they like each other because they bone and that's it yeah, at this point, I, and maybe it's just because of the nature of our podcast, I feel like I read smut books because they're fun or funny. Not necessarily because I'm yeah. like, ooh, this is passionate and this is the romance I like to read. Like, this was actually really nice. And I would definitely be interested in reading more uh, virgin novels, as the kids say. Um, virgin novels. That's what we will call them. The erotic to the erroneous and the virgins. Um, erotic to the yeah. erroneous to the virgins. Mm-hmm. Would you read Lauren Kung Jessen's next book, her new book? Yes. And the reason I answer that so quickly is because while this was not, obviously this was not my cup of tea. I have shit on this book quite a bit throughout this entire review. And Lauren Kung Jessen, if you are listening, I am very sorry. I know that this is like a piece of art to you and you put your heart and soul into this. But I don't want this review to be a dissuade for her to grow. Because obviously, this is her debut book. And I've never debuted a book before. I've never gotten it on Book of the Month within the first month of publishing. And we've read books by authors that are well in their years that have written shit. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And if this is her debut novel... Honestly, keep doing what you're doing. I can honestly see her yeah. growing to be a, a very strong author. And I I am legitimately I'm actually legitimately interested in reading another book by her just to like see her grow as an author and as a writer and how she characterizes her characters and especially to learn like have more perspectives of Asian characters in romance books which we lackingly see and i want to see more Mm -hmm. of that 
Yeah. I would actually agree. I think I definitely would like space because I know her her next book actually just came out at the time of recording this. Yes. I would definitely like palette cleansers in space before I read that next one, but I would definitely be open to it because of the very same reasons. I think this is a really impressive work to put out for a debut novel. And I said this actually off air to Ashlyn and Sid, but I didn't have any gripes with this book for me personally in terms of prose, pacing, you know, the the actual concept of the book, a lot of the execution, really it just came down to characterization. And I think it's hard to create a masterpiece um, and something that's perfect all the way around your first go, even your first five, ten books and et cetera. And I think I would really be interested to read at least one more book by her to see if any of that has changed. Um, yeah, you know, and I hope listeners, if you do listen to this, are open to that as well, because we do want to support, um, you know, smaller authors and especially authors of color within the space. As it said, I mean, there are a lot of underrepresented mm-hmm. stories in this niche, in this genre. Um, I think there's absolutely space for it, and I would love to see that instead of the same cookie cutter white romances <laughs> that we've white, that we've, white <laughs> like saltine cracker romances that <laughs> we've been reading so of all the shit that i've talked about it really was just directed at olivia there's there's no yeah. hate to lauren just no, olivia no, I, no hate to the author at all all the hate to her main to the main character though <laughs> i would like you know what last thing i'll say on this i would like to read a book from her where the main like female lead is like less headstrong and like someone that's mm-hmm. maybe like just has like a different personality trait. Cause I think I want to see what she can do with that. Um, Cause I think there's a lot of potential there. Yeah. Also just in the romance genre in general, that there is somewhat an oversaturation of that yes. character trope right now, but because it's trying to overbalance the super feminine, I can't help myself kind of trope. And if we could just find a way to get ourselves in the middle there where we have a character who's confident in herself, but she's not so headstrong that she becomes like the antagonist of her own story. That'd be great. Because you can be ambitious and confident and still be kind and still be yes. empathetic. And I feel like we have and not also communicate. <laughs> yes. I feel like we have yet to read a book like that. We're all like the main female character is all of those things um Mm -hmm. but yeah what would your rating out of five for this book be so i gave it a three that was um that is my my rating um so here's kind of what I wrote down. Like I wrote down a full review just in my my little notebooks and a notebook. And I said, story wasn't bad, but it wasn't like super great either. Um, the characters are a little stale, like typical grumpy sunshine. I like, I did really love Bennett trying to find connection to his ancestors through Zoda Cupid and all of his research through the, Zo- the Chinese Zodiac. But Liv wasn't super likable as a character. Um, the ending was a little drawn out. Like that was the only issue I saw with timing. Um, but however, I did really like the middle part of the book. Um, that was a very good sweet spot era. I'm a sucker for little sweet 
people realizing, oh, wait, I do like him kind of thing. Um, because it was just people starting to like let their guard down and get to know each other, which I really liked. Um, and the inclusions of the Chinese Zodiac and uh, all of the different Chinese traditions was very interesting. And I honestly like it did inspire me to do more research, which I think is um, one point of the book. And if that is the case, then that was very well done. So I gave it a three stars because it was a great concept. And overall, I can see like I understand the appeal and I see it. I also gave it three stars. Um, I think for me, and this falls in line with a lot of the Goodreads reviews that I looked into um, prior to recording, but I think that it was just a wonderful and very novel concept. I just wish there was either a, just like a stronger honing in on that concept, like really embellish it, flesh it out. There's so much potential there and so much intrigue. I would have loved, I could have read a whole book romance or not about the Chinese Zodiac and like the mm-hmm. different ways you could play with it in a fictional world. I think that's incredible. And I, and I really would love to see either her or someone else, like take this and run with it and do something else with it. But at the same time, I just felt that the execution was a little lacking. Um, mm-hmm. Again, it is her debut novel and I hope to see her grow. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of what is written on the book synopsis on the back cover is not quite what's, as fleshed out or like as potent within the novel. And I wish that it hadn't gotten diluted or muddied, um, you know, just throughout the plot and like trying to execute this relationship. Um, But yeah, I I definitely think it was solid. Like I said, I had no complaints about the actual writing style or anything. Um, So it definitely be open to reading something else. Um, And also just to put it out there, we've read a hell of a lot worse on this podcast. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, so I am. I am hesitant to put it anywhere lower than a three. <laughs> no, gosh, I would. I would not put this anywhere near no. what we've read, like with the Mister or with um some of the other <laughs> pieces of atrocities we've read. Yeah, honestly, Lauren should be proud of herself. You know, yeah. you are outwriting some of the most prominent. We shall not say her name. Prominent <laughs> smut and romance authors on the market. You're doing good, girl. You got. You got you got chutzpah. <laughs> yeah, keep it up. Please keep it up. Honestly, there are very few books that we rate in the four range. I don't think we've rated anything mm-hmm. a perfect five. But very few things crack like four for us. Yeah. Maybe we're bitchy. We might be. Maybe we're just not reading the right stuff. If you think you know the right stuff, you should uh you should tell us. Hey Sid, where where can they tell us? They can tell us out on our Instagram, which is at the RPH Podcast, or on our Twitter, and we also have a TikTok. Go on there and go see all of our funny little videos that we put up. Or if you want to hear more of our voices, we actually are on all places where you can listen to podcasts, except Apparently, Google Podcast because they will be closing soon. Um, so they suggested to us that you can listen to us on YouTube Music. But hey, we're on Apple Music, Spotify, you know, all those good, good things. Uh, and if you want to know, like you want to tell us uh, what stuff we may want to read, 
go uh, onto our Instagram and we have a little sheet that you can fill out and submit books for us to read. And that's kind of all we have tonight. So thank you for tuning in to our part two of Lunar Love by Lauren Kung Jessen. And uh, like I said, if you want to go listen to us, you should go listen to us. Anyway, with that, I will say good night to all you pretty people. Join us in two weeks for our first episode of the second Ice Planet Barbarians by Ruby Dixon. It's also our year anniversary, so we're very excited. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Raunchy Power Hour. Find us on Instagram and Twitter at the RPH Podcast. Send us book recs to our email, raunchypowerhour at gmail.com, or at the link in our bio on any of our socials. As always, stay raunchy. Stay raunchy.